Scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Lord, your name is worthy. We sing those words, but those words are not just words. They express a truth. It's an objective truth, Lord. Regardless of what we think about it, regardless of what the world thinks about it, the truth is that your name is worthy. Your name is the name that is above all names. And one day, every single knee will bow and every single tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father, that you, Lord Jesus, are indeed the Lord of all the earth. And so how I pray that that song would become true of us today, that you would be our all in all. How I pray that through this service you would cause us to walk down that road just a little bit more to where you are truly the dominant center of our life, where it's not just something we talk about in church or something we talk about when we're with other Christians, but in fact... You are the dominating factor in our lives. Oh Lord, please be merciful to us as we are so distracted by so many things and we are so weak in our flesh. And please, Lord, by Your power and Your grace, lead us on until the day when You truly are our all in all. Where You truly are like the sun blazing at the center of the solar system of our lives. Come now, Lord Jesus, I pray, and exalt Yourself. Open our eyes that we might see You. Open our ears that we might hear You. Give me a voice that I might speak the words that would glorify You. And please, Lord, sow seeds into all of us that will grow and flourish for the glory of Your name. It's in You alone that we trust, Lord Jesus. Amen. For some time now, it's been a two or three months, we've been working our way through Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. Just taking the armor of God one piece at a time. And last week we came to the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. I want to conclude that conversation today. But uh, first let me reiterate four important lessons we learned from last week to give us a little context. And then we'll push on through a few more things today. First of all, just defining this term gospel of peace. The gospel of peace for which we are to be ready is the good news that Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And not only that, 
but to be reconciled to others and even to be reconciled to the very created order. Satan and sin introduced great disruption into the universe. And through Jesus Christ, God is reconciling all things to Himself. You can look at Ephesians 1, I believe it's verse 11, where it says that in Christ all things are being reunited. All things are being reconciled. This is the gospel of peace. Number two, the reason that this gospel of peace must make war We talked last week about the oddness of that phrase, peace and war. But the reason the gospel of peace must make war is because Satan is all about division. Satan is all about disrupting the work of God. He's never stopped what he's been doing since the garden. Every single day he's trying to disrupt what God is doing. Every day he's plotting against us as Christians, scheming against us as Christians. And so, in order to make peace, we must make war. Just like the Allied forces had to make war against Hitler in order to win peace in the world, we too must make war as believers in Jesus Christ. And as we do, the great promise that stands as a banner over our lives, it is the great hope of our lives, is Romans 16.20. Soon the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. And so the purpose of the kingdom of God, the purpose of the gospel of peace, is to fight for the peace that Jesus Christ has made in the hope that one day God will crush Satan under our feet. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. Amen? Can't you wait for the day when Satan will no longer be there tempting you and harassing you and doing all the things that he does? I cannot wait for that day. Number three. The passion for spreading the gospel of peace comes from the gospel of peace. And what I'm trying to say here is that we do not have to manufacture passion, courage, wisdom, content, anything at all in order to spread the gospel of peace. All we need for the gospel of peace comes from the gospel of peace. We don't, as believers, have to go to some charismatic sales-like meeting where some guru kind of fires us up and gets us pumped up and sends us out into the world to make sales, so to speak. We don't have to do that. We don't have to rely on earthly techniques and earthly mechanisms in order to spread the gospel throughout the world. All we have to do is turn our eyes upon Jesus and trust in this great Lord who is the Lord of the universe. Be obedient to Him. Simply proclaim the Gospel and believe His Word that says the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Right? We preach in total weakness. It's not about us. It's about the power of God. We don't have to manufacture all kinds of stuff to make the Gospel look attractive to people because it's all about God. And so I just believe that as a person soaks his or her mind in the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done and what we talked about here at Glory of Christ for about five weeks, how Jesus removed our sin from us and how He imputed His righteousness to us, as you soak in that and as the reality of that lands upon you, I just believe the passion, the power, the content, the courage, all of that rises up within you and you will witness. The passion, the power for the gospel of peace comes from the gospel of peace. We don't have to manufacture it. And then finally from last week, number four, the command of Ephesians 6, 5, 6.15 
is that we make ourselves ready to go with the gospel of peace. And when I say ready to go, I mean ready to go right this minute. I mean put your shoes on and be ready to walk out the door and do it right now. The word that is translated readiness more literally means to be prepared. And the idea is that each of us would fully be prepared for God to call on us at any moment in order to work, to strive, to spread the gospel of peace. You don't know when the moment will come when God will call your number and say, speak now, spread now, serve now, whatever. And so we have to be ready. That's the main point of the command here. Now I closed the sermon last week by giving you, just sketching out very briefly, four practical ways that you can put these shoes of readiness on. I don't want to just be theoretical here. I want us to be practical. So when you wake up each morning, what does it mean to put on the shoes of readiness for the gospel of peace? And today I want to go into detail in all four of those things. And my hope in doing this is to set you on a path to joy. Because so much of life in Christ only begins to make sense when you get off the bench and get into the game and get into the war, right? There are some religions that are mainly about contemplation, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is contemplative in part. I'll grant you that. We're to meditate on the Word of God. We're to meditate on the glories of Christ. All of that. But also, we're to get up off the bench and get into the game. And when you get into the game, so many things that you thought you knew begin to make sense. There are so many times, beloved, that I have been engaging in ministry, and then the simplest lessons land on me as though I had never heard them before. It just all begins to make sense. And so, in preparing you with the shoes of the gospel of peace, I'm hoping to prepare you to open up to the wonder of Christianity and open up to the joy of the Lord in serving Him and in fighting side by side with Jesus Christ. So, four things. Number one is this. In order to put on the shoes of readiness for the gospel of peace, we must learn to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We must learn to put God first. We must learn the the truth of the texts that say things like, let Him be your treasure and your only treasure. We must learn to die to all other kinds of affections until the Lord is indeed the blazing sun at the center of the solar system of our lives. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have affection for other things, for our family, for friends, for certain things in the world. I'm not saying that, but there's an order to these things. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment in all of the Bible, what did He answer? He answered that the first commandment is to love the Lord your God, right? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. There are thens. There are other things. But God is to be the blazing center. And it just makes sense here. God is the creator of the universe. He is the creator of each one of us. He knit each one of us in our mother's wombs. He alone gives us breath and life day by day. He alone gives us food and resources and all the things that we need. He alone has poured mercy upon us in Jesus Christ and it is to Him alone that we will answer for our lives. So, since the Lord is the beginning and the middle and the end of existence, He deserves to be at the center of our lives. And so here's what I'm saying. In order to have passion for the gospel of peace, you must love the God of peace. 
You must come to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And as you do, the passion to spread the gospel will come. It's a natural overflow of love for God, not something that has to be manufactured. Now, I know that what I'm about to say might sound overly simplistic or maybe a little bit too basic for some of you who've been walking with Christ for a very long time. But I do think that learning to love the Lord your God really comes down to your daily routine. It really comes down to learning to spend time with the Lord a little bit every single day, day by day. In His Word, in prayer, it comes down to our daily discipline of having what some people like to call a quiet time. Although my quiet time is not always all that quiet. But it's time with the Lord. And really growing in love for Him progresses along those lines. And here's why. I think that love for God progresses along the same lines as love with other people progresses as well. The the way we grow in human relationships is a symbol and a sign to us of how to grow in our relationship with God. So let me give you an example. With Kim and I, we are just flat out best friends. She's my wife. I love her with all of my heart. But at the end of the day, she's just my best friend. There's There's nobody on this planet that knows me better than Kim, who loves me more than Kim, not even my mother and father. We're very close, and and vice versa as well. I'm not sure you can get closer to a human being than I am to Kim right now, although day by day we seem to get closer, and so I don't know how close close can get. We'll see. We'll see. But we're good friends. But here's what I would say to you. Our friendship did not just come out of nowhere. It didn't just happen. We met each other 20 years ago this summer, in fact, in August of this year. It will be 20 years ago that we met. We met in ministry. The very first thing we did together is we worshipped, and then we put our armor on, and we went out and shared Jesus Christ with people. That's how we started our relationship. And then as we progressed, we have just been disciplined over the last 20 years to speak to each other, to process life with each other, to have fun together, to cry together, to suffer together. Lately, in the last few years, we've been riding our bikes together. We just do life together. And I don't mean that we happen to exist under the same roof. That's not what I mean. I mean that we have intentionally, day by day, sown into our friendship. And then, you know, you look back after 20 years and you say, wow, I mean, we are really close. Sometimes I feel like when I think, Kim knows what I'm thinking. We're just close, but it didn't come out of nowhere. It wasn't like this huge thing that happened all of a sudden. I, you know, my eyes landed upon her and bam! We just knew each other like we had never known anyone else before. It wasn't like that. It was day by day, spending time with each other, being disciplined, and over time we grew close together. And I think that that's how you go close to God as well. I think that God has given us human relationships as a tangible, visible symbol of how to grow in relationship with Him. So there are times when you have a growth spurt in the Lord, right? There are times when I've grown quite a bit over a short period of time. But more often than not, that's not how growth happens with God. It's the daily discipline of spending time with God over a long period of time. And the next thing you know, you've grown and grown and grown and grown quite a lot. We tend to overestimate the value of big things. And we tend to underestimate the value of little things. And if you would just take 10 steps every single day with God, just 10 steps down the road with Him, well then in one year you would have taken 3,000 plus steps. And in 10 years, 30,000 steps. I was at a conference once with uh, some pastors. 
And the keynote speaker there said, listen, guys, when I get up and preach every Sunday, I'm not trying to hit a grand slam every Sunday. I'm not trying to do some big, huge, massive, dramatic thing. Maybe from time to time on a particular Sunday, great things happen. God stirs in unusual ways from time to time, and that's true. But he said, Sunday in and Sunday out, I'm just trying to get the church to go up one more rung on the ladder. And then the next Sunday, one more rung up the ladder. And then one more, and then one more. And after a year, 10 years, 20 years, we've come a long, long way. And so it is with life in Christ. It's not the big, huge thing. It's the small, daily thing. And I'm just telling you that if you want passion and readiness for the gospel of peace, it reduces to your daily routine of learning to love the God of peace. The more you fall in love with Him, the more you grow with Him as a natural overflow of your life, you will want to share the gospel of peace. Now, young people, I want to talk to you for a minute. Children, I do have you in mind. By the way, kids, thank you so much for leading us in worship. I, I was really worshiping over there, so thank you for your leadership with us. I am talking to you, but mostly right now I have you guys in mind, 13 to 18-year-olds or whatever, and I just want to step behind your parents, be wind in their sails, and I want to encourage you to listen to them when they tell you to have a daily quiet time with the Lord every day. Please hear me, that having that time with the Lord every day is not like a chore. It's not like mowing the lawn or doing your room or something. Hanging out with the Lord every day is learning to commune with Him. It's learning to have intimacy with Him. It's learning to develop a relationship with Him so that little by little, one day, you would actually be able to come to the place where you could say with honesty that the God who created the sun and the stars and the sky and the sea and all that is in them is my friend. He's my Father. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He is leading me. Right now we're memorizing Psalm 46. It says, it says, God is our refuge and strength. Not just a refuge, but our refuge. And if you want to be able to say that in your life, it comes down to that daily time. So please, I know some of you find it hard to have quiet times because you feel like you're not really connecting with God. You don't know what to do, etc. Don't look for the big thing. Just make a little bit of progress every day and over time you will grow close to the Lord. Now, let me give you two implications of this for spreading the gospel of peace. A major byproduct of learning to love the Lord your God, of of just getting close to Him and having communion with Him, is that the more you know Him, the more you begin to overcome your fears and your apprehensions about sharing the gospel of peace. So I'm just going to make an assumption that some of you are scared to share the gospel with strangers or with family members. Is that a fair assumption? That you're not always excited and eager to do that, but there's fear there? Well, there's fear there for all of us. And what I'm saying here is that the way to overcome that fear is not to pump yourself up emotionally or to have someone else pump you up, but the way to overcome that fear is love. The Bible says in 1 John 4.18 that perfect love casts out fear. The more love rises, the more sin or fear decreases in the life of a person. When I was young in Christ, I remember especially about a few of my family members in particular, I was almost petrified to share the gospel with them. They were older than me, bigger, meaner, stronger than me, and I didn't know what would happen if I shared the gospel with them, and I was literally just scared bad. 
And there were a couple of times where I did chicken out and I didn't share what I knew the Lord had me to share. There were other times when I just pushed through the fear and I shared what the Lord put on my heart to share with them. But now, I can honestly tell you that after 23 years of walking with the Lord, I was just with a bunch of my family a a couple of months ago out in California, and I just don't have that fear in my heart anymore. I don't care what they think about me anymore. I don't care if they put me in the category of a religious zealot who's just too into that Jesus stuff, or if they reject me or don't want to talk to me or don't want to include me in things. And it's not that my heart has grown callous toward them. It hasn't. I've been praying for these guys and women in my family day after day after day for over 20 years. I love them. I love them more than they know. But what it is is that I've come to love Jesus Christ to the extent that I, I, just, I fear Him and not them. I just don't care what they think. It's, the, it's not the main thing in my life anymore. Love overcame fear. Not psychological tricks or pumping myself up or just having to push through it. It wasn't that. It's that God, I remember reading a book, I don't remember who wrote this, maybe one of you can remind me later, but it said something about when people are big and God is small. And the whole point of the book was to turn that around so that God became really big in your life and people became small in your life. And I guess that's what I'm saying. The more that you love the Lord, He becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then what else do you have to fear? He's the God of the universe and He's on your side. So there's nothing to fear. If you want to overcome fear for sharing, learn to love the Lord. Next thing, as we learn to commune with God in Christ, He fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we have power to share the gospel. This kind of gets to the heart of what I was saying earlier, that we don't have to manufacture passion for the gospel. The reason we don't is because as we commune with God, He fills us with His Spirit. And there you have the power, there you have the wisdom, there you have everything that you need. In fact, even as I just was just getting ready to stand up and preach, I I felt the Lord whispering to me, don't worry about what you will say. You remember that place where He said to the disciples, you're going to be dragged before kings and princes and Gentiles and for us, like family members and co-workers. And you're going to have to testify. Don't worry about what you'll say in that day. Just trust Me. And the reason He could say that is because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit, He gives us the passion we need. He gives us the power we need. He gives us the articulation we need. Everything we need is found in Him. And so it really does come down to communing with Him. And that really does come down to our daily routine. It's just the bottom line. And so if you want to put on the shoes of the Gospel of Peace, beloved, spend time with your Lord. Open up His Word. Pray. Do the simple things. Don't look for the big drastic things. Just do the simple things and the Lord will give you everything that you need. Second thing that it means to put on the gospel, the readiness of the gospel of peace. In order to put these shoes on, we must always grow in our understanding of the gospel of peace. We must always be seeking a greater and deeper knowledge of what God has done for us in Christ. And I'll point you to two texts here. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.15, he said to Timothy, Do your best... Not halfway, not most of the way. Do your best. Give everything that's in you to present yourself to one, to God as one approved, as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And the other text I would point you to here is Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, where the writer said, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity 
Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washing and laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now certainly, the writer of Hebrews here is not saying that these believers were supposed to walk away from these things and and forget them. He's not saying that these elementary things of the Gospel are unimportant at all. What he's saying is, don't go through first grade again and again and again and again and again. If you knew someone who was 20 years old and they were still in first grade, you'd think something was wrong, right? Many of us believers have been walking with the Lord for 20 years and we're still in first grade. And Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is saying, push on to maturity. Don't just rehash the same things over and over and over again. Move on. Push on. Dig deeper. Grow in your understanding. Become more like Christ. Don't be lazy. Wake up. Push forward. And truth be told, there are some of us in this room who can say more about our hobbies and our interests than we can about the Gospel. There are some of you guys who know more about sports statistics than you know about the Bible. And there's just something wrong with that for somebody who has come to know the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. All of us to some extent struggle with this and there's just one word that we need to hear. And that word is repent. Repent. Turn your eyes away from the things of the world and turn them toward Christ. It's not complicated. You don't need a PhD for this. Open the Bible and turn off the TV. It's not that big of a deal. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. For those of us who have been recipients of His grace, we ought to know more about the Gospel than we know about any other thing in this world. And I mean that. Now some of you would push back on me and say, yeah, well, you don't work 50 hours out in the world, and so it's easy for you to say that. Well, I used to work 50 hours a week out in the world, and I still pursued the Gospel with all kinds of passion. Stop making excuses! And just turn your eyes on Christ. Do it. Do it. Find a way. One of the reasons you're not finding a way is because you're telling yourself there is no way. There is a way. And if there is not a way for you to turn your eyes on Jesus given your current life, you need to change your current life. But I'll tell you something, 99.99999% of you don't need to do that. You just need to trust Him and turn your eyes upon Him and find a way to make Jesus Christ the dominant center of your life. He can do this in you. He can do this. Friday evening, I began reading a book that I would recommend to you. It's a good book by a pastor in Washington, D.C. called uh, Mark Dever. And the book is called The Gospel and Personal Evangelism. I was really touched by the book, but I was taken by something that he said at the end in his recommended resources section. And I even put this up here. He said, among resources pertaining specifically to the actual gospel... I know of nothing better outside the Bible to suggest to you than the canons of the Synod of Dort. Look them up, then read them and meditate on them slowly, carefully, paragraph by paragraph. Be amazed at God's love for us in Christ. Now, these resources he's recommending are intended for you and I to equip ourselves more and more with the gospel of peace. So that's the point of this section of resources. And in that section of resources... 
He lifts up the canons of Dort, which are a pretty detailed theological statement that was written 400 years ago to clarify theology in the Netherlands. Okay? And he's saying, if you want to become better at the Gospel, study the canons of Dort. And I really appreciated this about him because so many other books just say, you know, read this book or that book that teaches you the latest techniques. And I agree that we do need to grow in some of our abilities. I agree with that. But much, much, much more than that, we need to learn to soak our minds in this Gospel of peace and understand it. If you would just think about the Gospel without reference to sharing with anybody else, you just think about it. Just let the Lord teach you what He has done for you in Christ. As it lands upon you, believe me, you will grow in your passion to share Him. It will happen. Those five weeks when we were talking about the breastplate of righteousness, I was soaking my mind reading book after book and text after text after text in the Bible thinking about how Jesus took away our sins and how He made us righteous before the Father. And I'm telling you, the passion in my heart to, to, to give other people the freedom and peace that I have in Christ grew tremendously. And so I agree with Mark Dever. If the canons of Dort don't work with you, whatever. We have an elder affirmation of faith out there that would basically do the same thing for you. Where you just think through the doctrines. Soak in them. Think about them. Take your time. There's no hurry. Just let the Gospel land on you. And as it does, you will want to share. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so if your heart is overflowed, not with the twins or the Vikings, but with the Gospel, at some point your mouth is going to overflow. It's going to happen. Whatever you fill your heart up with will spill out of your mouth at some point in God's way and in God's time. So fill it up with the stuff that you want to fill it up with. In order to put on the shoes of the readiness for the Gospel of peace, we simply must make a life of soaking our brains in the gospel of peace. We have to understand it. And the more we come to understand it, the more our passion will grow. Third thing. So first of all, love the Lord your God. Second, soak your mind in the gospel. And now number three. In order to put on the shoes of readiness for the gospel of peace, we must learn to articulate this gospel so that others can hear and understand and believe. So I just got done saying that we don't have to learn a bunch of fancy techniques. I'm not contradicting myself there. I'm, I am saying the main thing we have to do is just come to understand the Gospel, trust the Lord for our verbiage. But I do think there is a place where we need to learn how to get out of our mouths what is in our hearts and is in our minds. We have to grow in the ability to share the Gospel. I am not saying that we have to you know, figure out some slick presentation and be sort of an infomercial salesman kind of a person. I am not saying that, but I am saying that we need to heed the words of a text like First Peter. So this will be up on the screen for you if you want to read along. First Peter three, fourteen to sixteen. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, don't be a jerk about it. Be humble, be respectful, be gentle. Having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
I heard an example of that in, well, I read in Mark Dever's book of, uh, of, uh, of a guy who was mocking a famous evangelist in the 1800s. You heard of George Whitfield? Any of you? Well, he was a really powerful evangelist. And there was another guy who was a part of this thing called the Hellfire Club. So they made a whole club to oppose George Whitfield's movement. And they called it the Hellfire Club. And the leader of the club could imitate George Whitfield to a T. All of his intonations, all of his mannerisms, all of his everything. So they call a meeting in some city, and this guy gets up and he just starts going for it. He's just imitating George Whitfield with all of his passion. But the crazy thing is that in the midst of him imitating Whitfield, the power of the gospel lands on the guy, and that night he gave his life to Christ and became saved. Isn't that awesome? That's just awesome. And that's the way the Lord does it. When we just present ourselves and do it with gentleness and with respect and having a good conscience, even those who revile our good behavior, they're either put to shame or they end up coming to Christ by a great, great means. Point you to one more text, Second Corinthians ten three through six. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. You see, so we don't have to go to a seminar and learn all the techniques. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Sales presentations can't do that. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, certainly, nobody depended on the Holy Spirit more than the Apostle Paul, but it's him who who grew to the point where he could take the arguments of his day against the Gospel and destroy them. He could take them captive and make them obedient to Christ because He had trained Himself. He had disciplined Himself. And so what I am saying to us is that we don't need to learn to be a slick salesman, but we do need to learn to take the arguments that are in our culture, in our families, in our circles of influence against the Gospel and learn how to gently destroy them. Learn how to take them captive to obey Christ. Now, people aren't always going to believe us, but that's not the point. We must become skilled at making the arguments because you never know when someone from a modern hellfire club is going to finally understand what we were saying and become saved. And so if you want to put on the shoes of readiness for the gospel of peace, you have to learn to articulate it in ways that make sense to people. In our day, we got to deal with stuff like homosexuality. We have to deal with things like, um, like evolution and all of those kinds of things. There, we have to deal with world religions and all of that. We need to learn how to give answers to the real questions that are on people's hearts against the gospel. Now, how do you do that practically speaking? Well, first of all, as I already said, communion with God. If you did nothing else but spend time with the Lord in the Word, you would learn how to be an articulate witness for the Gospel. John Bunyan is one of my heroes. He was a pastor about 400 years ago. And I read once where he said, he said, listen, I would love to have the time to read other people's books, but I just don't have the time. The Lord has me so busy in the Bible that just at the end of the day, there's no time left. And so he didn't read a lot of books. He just read the Bible. And he became one of the most articulate proponents of the Gospel that the world had seen in those days. And listen, he never went to college. 
He never went to seminary. He never knew Greek. He never knew Hebrew. He never knew the finer points of this and that. But God equipped him with a Bible. So if that's all you had, that would be enough. But number two, in our day, we just have a ton of resources at our very fingertips. There has never been a time in the history of the world when you have had at your fingertips for free the quality of resources that are available available to you. Uh, I was just thinking about yesterday, a few months ago, I couldn't sleep one night, and so I got up and I was just poking around for something to kind of encourage my soul, and I found these lectures by a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Have you heard of him? Ravi is an awesome apologist. I love him. Apologist, by the way, means someone who defends the points of the gospel. It doesn't mean someone who's, you know, sort of apologizing for being a Christian. It means he's giving reasons for a a defense for the gospel. And one video in particular really has stuck with me, and that's where a, a guy at, I think it was at Northwestern University, had asked him about why Christians discriminate against homosexuals, but then they're against discrimination toward, say, African Americans or whatever. And Ravi just gave the most eloquent, beautiful answer, gracious, loving, truth-filled answer, and it equipped me. As I heard him explain why we discriminate in one case and not the other, I learned how to articulate it myself. And so what I'm saying to you is that you can equip yourself for free every single day if you want to do that. So commune with God in the Bible. Take advantage of resources. Desiring God Ministries, another great one. Monergism.com. Boy, if you spent 30 minutes a day at monergism.com, you would, you would grow a ton. Uh, what else? Somebody shout out something if you know something great. What else is out there? R.C. Sproul's site is awesome. There's just so much out there, so avail yourself of it. And then number three, so communion with God, resources. And then number three is use the body of Christ. Use the body of Christ. So let's say that you pull up a video and you learn to debate someone over evolution. Well, a good thing for you to do would be to find a brother or sister right here and sit down with them over coffee and just talk it through. And each of you be like iron that sharpens iron and say, no, maybe you could say it a little bit better this way or maybe you need to add this point or take this point out or whatever. But be iron that sharpens iron. Learn to articulate the Gospel is all I'm saying. And again, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to do this. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to stop your life and go to seminary. Just Open your eyes up and look in the Word. The Lord will begin to equip you. And He will begin to, to teach you how to articulate it as well. So, number four. To put on the shoes of peace, we need love for God. We need to saturate our minds in the Gospel. We need to learn to articulate the Gospel so it makes sense to others. And then finally, number four. In order to put on the shoes of readiness for the Gospel of peace, we must inflame within us an eagerness of heart and a constant expectation that God might use us at any moment to glorify His name and to bless other people. Now there are several of you men that I meet with on a regular basis, and you can testify that when it when I happen to close our meetings in prayer, almost every single time I will say something like, Father, please now fill us with Your Holy Spirit as we go, because there's still time left in this day for You to glorify Yourself through our lives. Please help us, Lord, not just to think about ourselves. Help us to think about the people that we see. Help us to think about our families. Help us to live not just for ourselves, but for Your glory in others. And the reason that I discipline myself to pray that way time after time after time after time. It's not because I I can't think of anything new to pray. 
It's because I'm trying to breed in myself an eagerness to want to be used by God. I'm trying to wake myself up because I think our natural state is to be asleep to what the Holy Spirit is doing around us. So you walk into a store and you have no idea that God's stirring in that place and He might use you as part of what He's doing. You remember when Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's a, that's a stunning statement. Could you say that about your life? Think about what you did yesterday. Could you say that you only did yesterday what you saw your Father doing? Well, Jesus Christ could say that at every turn of His life. And I want to breed that kind of a heart in my life too. I want to see what He's up to here in this service this morning so that I don't just complete my own agenda, but so that I actually cooperate with Him in what He is up to. And same when I'm in my home, same when I'm at Perkins, same when I'm at Cubs, same when I'm riding my bike for 115 miles like I did last Thursday. I want to be part of what God is doing and not just part of what I'm doing. I want to breed an eagerness in my heart. Father, use me this day. Use me. Like I said early on in the sermon, so much of Christianity comes alive when God begins to use you in the lives of other people. And I just pray with all of my heart that you will want that kind of eager expectation in your heart. It comes from communion with God. It's not a big secret. It's daily learning to commune with God and then you just have the passion, Father, I want to go to work with you. I want to be where you are. When I was a boy, my parents owned restaurants. And I loved my daddy with all of my heart. And I'm telling you, it was no chore for me. When I was six and seven years old, I would go to the restaurant with my daddy and I would wash dishes and I would work my behind off for hours. And I was six, seven years old. I remember once my parents brought me into the restaurant to teach this 17, 18 year old how to wash the dishes because she wasn't working hard enough. Well, the passion I had to work with my daddy came because I loved him. I loved him. Same with our father. If you will learn to love Him, you'll just flat out want to go to work with Him. And so I pray that you will breed that kind of expectation in your heart. So let me summarize. If you want to put the gospel, the shoes of readiness for the gospel of peace on day by day by day, if you want to be the kind of warrior that doesn't just put your armor on, but you actually go to war, or you fight in the might of Christ for the gospel of peace, then you need to learn to commune with the Father. You need to learn to soak your mind in the Gospel and understand it and love it. You need to learn to articulate it slowly but surely, always depending on the Holy Spirit one way or the other. And you need to breed inside of yourself an eager expectation that God might use you at any moment. In fact, this morning, you don't know what's happening in the lives of people in this room. Really, you don't. And God might use you to bless somebody else today. And I hope you have an eagerness for that. I want to conclude this week as I did last week. I put a whole string of questions in your study notes for today. And I just want to encourage you to think through these things. They're not meant to put a weight on your shoulders. They're meant to help you think about how to practically get ready for the gospel of peace. Remember, if you feel guilty, if you feel a weight, if you feel any of that, some of that might be from the Lord, but just remember that He does the heavy lifting. He does all the hard stuff. If you'll just come to Him, He will do the hard stuff. So let me read a couple. I'm not going to read all these questions, but the basic question over them all is, glory of Christ, are you prepared? Are you ready for the gospel of peace? 
Oh, God forbid that this church would just grow to be the kind of church that loves meeting together and we don't spread the gospel of peace. God forbid that. So are you ready? Are you ready right this moment if God called on you to walk out that door and share the gospel? Are you ready? Are you learning to commune daily with the Lord? Are you soaking your mind in the gospel in some way, shape, or form? And do you have a plan for that? Are you learning to articulate the gospel so that it actually makes sense to people that you know and to strangers perhaps even? Do you have a plan for growing in that? And finally, are you breeding in your heart an eagerness of soul that wants to be used by God? Are you doing these things? Well, one way or the other, I would still just keep pointing you, as I have been the whole sermon, back to communion with God. Back to communion with God. Back to communion with God. That's where the fire is. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, I pray that You would draw us into Your presence. You are the Holy One. You are the ones of whom the angels sing, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are the great and gracious God. You are the one who fills us with the Spirit. You are the one who gives us the knowledge that we need. You are the one who gives us the words that we need. You are the one that fills our hearts with eagerness. You are the one who outfits us with the full armor of God that we may fight side by side with You in this great epic battle for the gospel of peace. So please, Father, draw us into Your presence. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. We are so distracted by so many things. We become so tired at times. So many things pull us away from You. And I'm just asking You, by the grace in Your heart and the power in Your hand, please draw us into Your presence where we can find help and outfitting in our time of need. We love You, Lord Jesus, and it's to You that we now rise and sing. Amen.